So Joshua 24, I'm not going to read all the, uh, uh, the verses uh, gathered there, but I'm going to be beginning from verse 13. So it's getting towards the end of Joshua's life. So if you've just kind of like um, arrived in this evening, not been a part of this evening, then it's kind of like you've just got a brand new book and you've decided to just read the final chapter. So it may well be that you feel a bit out of kilter as some of what you, we may well be going through might seem a bit out of context. We trust that God will speak to you nonetheless. Joshua chapter 24, beginning at verse 13 where having gone into the promised land and then Joshua's given this uh, this great couple of speeches at the back end of through chapter 23 and the start of chapter 24 so now it's God who says so I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers that they serve beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then towards the end of the chapter, verse 25. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he drew up for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. And after these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath-serah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and, and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for God's people Israel. And Joshua's bones, sorry, and Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land. <clears throat> between uh, that Jacob brought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hammer, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's inheritance. And Eliza, son of Aaron, also died and was buried at Gibeah, which had been allotted to his son Phineas in the hill country of Ephraim. And there ends the book of Joshua. We were only in chapter 14 last week. We've gone... Whoosh, Right up to chapter 24 for this evening. There's reasons about that, but I'll mention that a little bit later. So we're looking at this final chapter, Joshua chapter 24 particularly, just to bring you up to speed with the kind of stuff that's been going on. Joshua has led his people through the process of taking what was called the promised land. There was indeed something better 
And it's good for ourselves to know, whoever we are, there's always something better. Ultimately, there is something better than this life with all our aches uh, and pains, um, which isn't just for uh, p- people that have got an obvious sense of aches and pains. You'll be very well aware uh, that I baffled you with medical science last week by talking about my uh, greater trochoteric pain syndrome that nobody knew anything about. You see, even i got aches and pains uh, as well. But there is something better. There's a hope of something far better to come. And there was something better for God's people as a whole, as a nation. God had made a promise and he had then fulfilled it. The people took possession of the land and they settled there. We read in chapter 21 and verse 43. The wait is over, the people have moved in and it has happened just as God has promised. You'd have to read all the way uh, back to the various verses to actually see what had gone on before and what God said, bef- uh, what God had said before to realize how that had actually all panned out. They'd been wandering for over 40 years, fighting for months to take hold of the land and now God is giving them rest. Not just a little bit of rest, where we say, well, you've had your lunch, have a little bit of a kip, have a little bit of a rest. This was rest on every side and that sounds a quite a nice place to be in doesn't it don't we want to be in that place where life doesn't seem to be an endless battle either we're battling with our aches and pains or we're battling with issues going on in our lives or issues from the past or there's family stuff whatever it is We long to be in that place where stuff is going to be a little bit easier. Rest will come, but there's always a journey that we've got to go through. It seems to be able to get us to that place. And so it is here. God gave all their enemies into their hands, uh, we read. Not just a few, but all. This is a story of God's faithfulness. Saying what he was going to do, and then he did it. And Joshua speaks in the early part of chapter 24 and speaks about the faithfulness of God all the way down through the ages. Not just the little bit of time that has been occupying their own lives, but prior to that and prior to that and way back and way back again. And we can speak of God's faithfulness putting us here in a new building. Some of us, the older uh, uh, people that are here still from Ackland Road way back, you can think and testify to God's faithfulness from way back. But actually Joshua's wanting to take God's people to way back before anybody was around. To back before then, back before then, back before then. God has been a faithful God. And so it was quite appropriate that we sang that very well-known hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Chapter 21, we read there in verse 45, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Uh, We can be a little bit flippant with our use of the word um, all, uh, can't we? Um, maybe a parent gets a bit stressed out with their with their uh, their children. You, you do that all the time. Well, they probably don't do that all the time. They don't do it when they're asleep. But we can kind of like lash out, can't we, with that phrase "all"? But when God speaks of all, we can trust Him. That all means all, the whole lot, all of His promises, everything that He was going to do, He then did. He alone is the one who can be trusted as being consistent and who's never failed. All came to pass. Any idea how many promises there are in the Bible? 
Some scholars may well be aware about that. Anybody want to have a quick count up before we carry on? No, it's going to take a little bit too long, isn't it? Around about 1,260 uh, promises. That's a lot of promises, isn't it? The rainbow is, is often thought about in terms of God being the God who keeps his promises. But actually, it can be very often misunderstood way back from Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 9. The rainbow is a token of God's promise to never destroy the earth again by the flood. But it's much more. It's a constant reminder that this is our God who keeps all of his many promises. And in Joshua, we see just a snapshot here of the all, the promises that have been made to God's people and the all that then God fulfills and indeed keeps. So last week we were looking at this guy called Caleb, who even at age 85, you may well remember, was saying, you know what, I am as strong today as I was then. And spiritually speaking, what a great thing for us to to look towards. And before you say, but I'm over 85, if anybody is, well, well, maybe there's a, a year yet to come. But the sentiment is still there, isn't it, for us to grab hold of. Wouldn't it be great to know whatever the date is in the future, we'd be able to testify, you know what, I'm as strong today as I was way back when I was a young man. Joshua chapter 24 goes, uh, carries on where uh, Joshua has given this, this speech of, of uh, God's brilliant faithfulness and he's now encouraging God's people to do exactly the same as what he had spoken to him about being strong in the Lord, not kind of uh, drifting off and away from God's word uh, to their lives. And that was said to him right back at the beginning of his uh, leadership and now he's thinking, I want to pass this on as I pass on on the baton to whoever's coming next because that which was true for me that's going to be true for other people as well he particularly picks on a people group that have hung on in there through all those battles they had their own promised land they said we're not we're not going to go with the rest of you guys into the ultimate promised land we're all right here thank you very much but joshua said well you're going to come and help us get into the promised land first and they did spent about seven years doing that with all those battles, seven years away from their, 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 um, their land that's where their families had stayed behind. And Joshua's wanting to honour them, to thank them, to show gratitude as the, it's time then for this small people group to then revert back and to go back. And we then get to Joshua chapter 22. There's an, a, an interesting uh, little segment in Joshua chapter 22 where just as this, this small... Um, uh, a people group of what's called the two and a half tribes just as they were about to go back uh, to east of the Jordan which is where they wanted to set up uh, their home they thought you know what we're, we're going to set up an altar here well that got misunderstood big time and word got around as word very often does via the gossip chain and that which was kind of quite an honourable uh, thing that they were seeking to do, something of integrity, very God-honouring, but that wasn't how it had been understood by the rest of God's people. So bad was it that the rest of God's people were going to come to war against this people group that they'd been on the same side for. You think, how ridiculous. And thankfully, common sense held out. Because there was then a conversation that was had and they were able to nip it in the bud. And there's, if you read through um, chapter 22, there's a, a great kind of few principles you can lift there for how we ought to be involved in conflict resolution. As opposed to just immediately going in, all guns blazing. 
Timing is so key. Talking is so key. Avoiding at all costs misunderstanding. Seeking to clarify. And we get that through Joshua chapter 22. Then there's this big final speech of Joshua in chapter 23. And then we get the challenge uh, that he declares in verse uh, in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 24 that we looked at particularly this morning. And it's a bit heavy really as Joshua is saying, right, I want you guys to choose this day whom you will serve. And it's as if it's kind of like a Sunday school lesson. Who was the son of God? They all put their answers, up, their hands up and say Jesus. Well, very easy to know the right answer. So in that similar vein, when Joshua is saying, are you going to be all serving God from here? They all say, yes, we will serve the Lord. He doesn't accept that. He says, no, you're not. No, you're not. Don't give me that kind of weak willed response. I want to know how serious you are. And he was really quite bullish if you read through chapter 24. So I want to know how serious you are. Because if you're serious about your serving God, there's a whole host of stuff that's got to change. There's stuff that's got to go. And he challenges them about that. He says, whatever you guys do, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And we looked at that this morning. And if you want to... uh, uh, to examine that uh, a little bit more detail, then please do listen online during uh, the week, or you can ask for a CD uh, on that. We then read in Josh, we, we read in Joshua 23 a lovely phrase about how Joshua was. Uh, uh, he says, "I am, um, I am old and well advanced in years." And without actually um, uh, letting Ian know what the verse was or what the words were, I was going to get him to actually read that out. Could you just read that verse 2 to just hear Ian Blackie say uh, those immortal words? I'm old and well advanced in years. Yeah, we'll agree with that, Ian. And we would have had a little chuckle. I wonder how old is old? Well, I came across this little article about how we might know that we're old, okay? So you can kind of like decide for yourselves whether or not this is true for you. And I'm going to try desperately hard to keep my eyes down and not catch anybody's eye. Uh, This article said, you know that you are getting old when you look forward to a dull evening. (laughs) You know that you are getting old when you sink your teeth into a good steak and they stay there. You know that you are getting old when you sit in a rocking chair but can't get it going. (laughs) You know you are getting old when everything that works hurts and what doesn't hurt just simply doesn't work. (laughs) And finally, I like this one. You know you're getting old when you try to straighten out the wrinkles in your socks to then discover that you aren't wearing any. Well, I don't know whether or not any of that resonates uh, with you at all. But the fact is, Joshua was old. He was 110. And he's just about to go to be with his God. He renewed the covenant. He rehearsed their history, gave the stirring messages. And all that sort of stuff would have probably been expected. But then he did the unobvious. He set up a stone. And he says in verse 27 of that final chapter... He says, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words that the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. We've got a saying, haven't we, uh, uh, when all the details have not yet uh, been agreed. We say, well, it's not yet been set in stone. This was. 
very much set in stone. For Joshua and the people that day, it was literally set in stone. He renewed the covenant, written it in the book. Uh, Then the Bible says that he set uh, up this great stone near to the entrance to the holy place, the place where they would meet with God, the place of his presence. And then the rest of the the few verses records uh, three kind of like funerals, really. And I thought we would just lift a little bit about because it seems a bit of an intriguing uh, way to end the chapter. Because he's just had this big climactic speech. And you think, well, that's good. If I was Joshua, I'd end then and then walk away and die and go to be uh, with the Lord. But that's not where um, where this book finishes. There's a few more um, a few more um, uh, verses to come. So we're just going to touch on those uh, very briefly before we close. Firstly, we've got what I've called here the gravestone of finality, uh, and I'm going to do these in, in reverse order. We've got the three endings: Joshua, Joseph, and Eliza. But I'm going to do those the other way around because we've got to end with Joshua, really, haven't we? Because it's his book, after all. The gravestone of finality. And Eliza, son of Aaron, died and was buried at Gibeah, which had been allotted to the, his son Phineas in the hill country of Ephraim. Verse 33. Well, so what? We may, we may well say. That was a bit of my reaction, really. So what? The last gravestone there in that final verse marks the grave of Eliza, son of Aaron, the very first high priest. His grave is that grave of finality, if you like. The death of Eliza marks the changing of the guard in Israel. All the old timers are now gone. It's time for a new generation to pick up the baton of service. It's sad, isn't it, when old soldiers of Jesus pass from this sphere to glory. But it's more sad when those who are left behind don't pick up the baton. Listen to these uh, verses in, from Ezekiel. He says, I look for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. How sad that is. You're desperately eager to hand on the baton but there's no one to hand it on to. Let's hope that if you're in a particular role, there's someone that you're already praying for that's going to pick up that baton for what you're involved in. There always must be somebody else to carry on that ministry. We've then got what I've called the gravestone of fulfilment. We read in verse 32 where Joseph comes into play. And this is Old Testament Joseph, not the uh, the New Testament Joseph that we think about at Christmas time. And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were then buried at Shechem in the, la- in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamer, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. Second gravestone, therefore, that's mentioned belonged to a man who died many centuries before in the land of Egypt. While Joseph was on his deathbed, he made the following prediction. I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 50, uh, way back in that first book of the Bible, and we read these words. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. It's quite a bit of a gloomy kind of evening here. Isn't it? Everybody's about to die. But there we go. Uh, but jo- Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, 
God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, same age as Joshua was. And after that, they embalmed him and he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Then several hundred years later, a, a grave is dug, a coffin is then lowered, the remains of his body are then placed in the ground. What was the request of, of hundreds of years before is then fulfilled in these few verses here. All kind of like tying up uh, together. What do we get from that? We get a reminder that God fulfills his word. Now, I wouldn't have known the relevance about that unless I've read it in a book. I'll be honest with you. But having read it in a book, I wanted to tell you so that we're all encouraged that yet another reminder, the God who speaks his word or promises something to you is the one who keeps his promises and will indeed fulfill his word. And then we get to finally the the gravestone of faithfulness, if you like, between verses 29 uh, to 31. That first grave that's mentioned is that of Joshua himself. His tombstone spoke about the faithfulness of God to his people. And you need to read the whole of chapter 24 where he kind of like unleashes that. Probably chapter 23 as well. If you've got a little bit of time tonight for a bit of bedtime reading. Joshua did all that had, had been asked for of him, even though it must have been tough for him to follow Moses you go way back and we've done teaching series through about the life of Moses this incredible character uh, and then uh, we just then get this this whole uh, sense if you remember way back if you were a part of the beginning of this series where Moses then uh, then dies and there's this word of God that comes to Joshua Moses is dead over to you (coughs) gulp massive shoes to suddenly uh, fulfill how are you going to fulfil the the fill the the, um, the shoes in the football sphere of Alex Ferguson when he retired from football from Manchester United? Of course, nobody has. Just seemed too big uh, to fulfil uh, those uh, fill those shoes. Well, for Moses, he may well have gone, but the baton was able to be passed on, thankfully, to Joshua. And praise God, God has used His servant. God prom- God's promise to him was realized no one will be able to stand up against you he god said to joshua right in chapter 1 verse 5 all the days of your life joshua was an ordinary uh, person but isn't it great that god uses ordinary people i mean in one sense we're all special but in another sense we're, we're nothing but ordinary people are we with a whole host of stuff that maybe we wish was a little bit different or things that we wish we hadn't done or things we wish we had done. We're ordinary people. But placing ourselves into God's hands, there's some extraordinary things that God can use us in. And he did with Joshua. Joshua didn't have the drama of Moses. He didn't have any brother like Aaron, no sister like Miriam or father-in-law like Jethro to support him, guide him or advise him. He was a warrior. He wasn't a communicator or an educator like Moses. Joshua was this tribal leader. But in the hands of God, he was the right person in the right place at the right time to lead God's people in a right way. Joshua had comforted them in their loss of this larger than life character, Moses. How is he to do that? He convinced the people to use this most outlandish war strategy ever used 
in the fall of Jericho, just marching round and round in circles, round and round and round, and fanfare of trumpets, and then walls come tumbling down. Wow, he had to be a brave guy to kind of put that into practice, because that was what God told him to do. He sounded a bit like a nutter, didn't he? But he did it, because that was what God said. He then wept with them at that shocking uh, defeat near Ai, where it, they kind of got a bit complacent. And a bit out of kilter, thinking they were the big uh, I am, and they hadn't really sought God. They then he led them again on their hands and knees as leaders together to get back right with God and make sure they got it right next time in humbling themselves before the Lord. And as James says, humble yourself before the Lord, and He will be the one to lift you up. He then kept them together through the crossing of the Jordan and had been their military guru in conquering the land. God used this man to lead his people in the right way. He distinguished himself as Moses did as well in the service of God. And now he's saying, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We've done it. We're doing it now. But the, the tense is written whereby he's determined to do that until his dying day. That's a tough call, isn't it? And uh, Ali Whiting, who was leading our worship here this morning, uh, chose a, a hymn that we sang, O Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. Well, I'm sure people were a lot more comfortable in the singing of it than they were after I kind of turned that on its head and said, Really? How do we know that we're going to be doing that? Do you know that you're going to be doing that? I would hope that I would. And it was great having a conversation with somebody about, oh, shouldn't we actually rewrite the lyrics of that? <laughs> um, uh, oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve thee on a good day. Uh, oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve thee when things are looking okay and, and actually my prayers are being answered and, uh, and things are not going wrong. It's a lot easier to sing a song like that, isn't it? Yeah. We come out with these words, don't we, about who we are and what we're going to do. But it's tough sometimes when hard stuff is round the corner. From verse 14 onwards until the end of the chapter, the word serve occurs 15 times in this passage. It's kind of like a theme there somewhere, don't you think? That for the the people of God or the individuals who are saying, I'm a Christian, I'm choosing to follow this God. The proof is in the pudding by how we are in terms of our own sense of serving him. And what we are doing to that uh, end. Someone once said, God did not save us to be sensations, but to be servants. That's all, to be servants. Yet the gravestone dedicated Joshua was probably really one dedicated to God. God was the one who'd proven himself faithful. Let's come before God as we pray. Maybe as we've been reminded afresh that we can indeed trust in his promises. And maybe our own prayer can be where we started in one of those opening songs. God, would you grant me strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. God, we thank you uh, for your word to us. We thank you for what we've discovered through the pages of this book of Joshua. Some of the stuff we found difficult to uh, understand, all the long names and all the, the different places but we believe this isn't just a historical record of what went on, but it's your living word. So as we have come to it, we pray that you might take uh, that which is your word and apply, help us to apply it to our own lives. 
that as with Joshua, we might at the very least make it our prayer as well as our hope that we would indeed be a people who might say, as for me and my household, I'm going to be determined with your help, God, and by your grace to serve the Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.